This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far ought to have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 14 of The Roundtable. I'm here with my baseball friends, Andy McCullough and Mark Carrig. Gentlemen, how was your 4th of July? Were there any fireworks, any uh, festivities that you'd like to share? Well, I was in the Bay Area for like 48 hours. And uh, <laughs> in that time, listened to some KNBR. And um, boy, those Giants fans are mad. They are. We will get, we will get to this. Uh, KNBR is, uh, if you don't follow LOL KNBR on Twitter, he's a delightful follow for the Giants partisan because he, he listens to a lot of KNBR. And uh, boy, they do get mad. They they get a little they get a little uh, frustrated when the Giants are playing like this. Andy, how was how was your day? My fourth was fine. I watched the uh, fireworks on the East River from a friend's place in Brooklyn. It was very nice. But that guy from LOL KMBR, he got very mad at me for a column I wrote last year, and it was basically just about how wonderful the twenty. 21 giants were like i just love like that was just what a lovely team like but i pointed out that if you complained about the uh, wilmer flores thing you're a loser <laughs> um, and uh, and, uh they, yeah they didn't he didn't care for that yeah because like wilmer flores if he's given another chance like definitely is getting a hit off max scherzer in that spot for sure he would have he would have it would have gone over the fence come on man his expected batting average was like negative 100 in that that's it's i like those odds baby i like i've watched the i've watched hunter pence hit a ball three times to to score a championship (laughs) winning double all right we're just gonna hop right in because we got a lot to talk about when we're gonna we're gonna talk about the wild card the teams scrambling for it the value of the wild card the extra seventh or eighth wild card i don't even know at this point at the trade deadline and you have thoughts i'm gonna turn it over to you Talk about the wild card and how it's going to affect the deadline as you perceive it. Thank you, Grant. Yes. Um, I have been I have been sick, and so I appreciate you pointing that out. That I'm playing hurt today, and once again carrying the show. I think I that anytime. I think that uh, yeah, this deadline is going to be really interesting because they added a playoff spot this season. Right? I am against playoff expansion. Um, I think a lot of People like baseball fans are kind of against it. Um, obviously, the owners and the commissioner are for it. They want to put it as many teams in the postseason as they can, um, and so it's kind of a you know it's a, it's an unstoppable train. Basically, I think it's going to be bad for the sport, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how a variety of teams navigate this deadline, and we're going to kind of start to see what the value of that, like, seventh playoff spot is. Or what is it, sixth, seventh? I don't even know anymore. Sixth, right? So it will be interesting to see how teams like the Cardinals, the Phillies, the Giants, the Rays, the, uh, you know, the Guardians, uh, maybe even, like, Seattle, 
Ooh, it's kind of unclear if they're still in it. But we're going to kind of see like what the value is. And I think that the way certain teams pursue that spot is going to reveal something about like their organizational sort of mindset. Also, their like sort of where they are in their winning timeline, per se, and uh, the level of like desperation. So I think like what you'll see maybe the Rays do as compared to the Phillies may be very different. Um, but I think it's more interesting, like maybe like what do the Giants do? You know, what uh, like... What does Seattle do? Like, do you push in and try and really go for that that last spot? Or do you, you know, just basically kind of roll the dice with the group you have? And we're going to see, like, what an actual value is. Because there's that's the only really races there are. Maybe, like, the, you know, the Central and, and, and the East, uh, the, the American League Central and the National League East. There's division races, but those teams are probably going to make it. So, I don't know. We'll see. I think it's fascinating in a lot of respects. But I, I think, like, a team... Like the Giants had their offseason maybe formulated around the idea that, hey, the postseason's expanded. And it's not just expanded, but there's not just this one do or die game. It's much easier to get into the real playoffs compared to where it was last year. And what is the value of winning a division now? It is fine, I guess, to get a first round buy, but we have no experience with first round buys in baseball necessarily. Is it good? Baseball seems to be one of those sports where you'd like to have a, a little bit of a rhythm, a little bit of a, a touch going on. And what happens with that first round buy and you come into a team that's hot and they've just won a series and now you've had a week off? Is that good? I don't know. Sounds good. Maybe you're rested. Your catcher's <laughs> healthier. It sounds like it should work, but that's interesting and we have no... We have no data on it. And so what are teams, how are teams going to value winning the division? I think the Giants said, no, I think this is good. I don't think we need to spend money now. They're regretting that maybe in a little different way, but (laughs) I don't know. It's a fascinating idea. I also wonder with that leeway, how many teams will be compelled to try to do a little bit of both? I think that's what's fascinating is that it used to be a really binary thing. You're a buyer, you're a seller. This setup feels like, you can kind of do both and you might lean one way, but being able to do both when you think about it, you can really improve your team a lot. If you take away some of these constraints of one or the other and you kind of do a little bit of both, you know, and especially when you talk about some of those teams right there, Andy, like that are in that mix, these are teams that aren't afraid to try stuff like that, Tampa Bay in particular. So I'm kind of interested to see how that plays out. You know, how the game, how the industry reacts when, you know, somebody wades into this territory and it's clear that they're doing both. Because I feel like that opens up a whole host of possibilities that maybe we wouldn't have seen before. You know, maybe there are players that end up getting moved that we don't see coming, which happens every year. But like seeing that in this context where you have a team that might be making moves that's perceived as a little bit of both selling and buying adds a little bit of chaos to it potentially and you know kind of spurs on some creativity too well especially given there's just not many great players expected to be moved this deadline you know like there's not a max scherzer there's not a trey turner i mean you look at who who are the guys on the block right now it's luis castillo it's josh bell it's andrew benintendi it should be frankie montas depending on how his you know arm is feeling could be like Nelson Cruz, but it's just, you know, these are like decent additions. There's not a number one starter in there. And so, you know, I don't think Tampa Bay would be willing to move the sort of player who can really 
you know, like could fill that void. You know, I don't think they like they're not going to trade like whatever Juan or Franco or something like that. But like you can get more value for a G-Man Troy type or whatever just based on the scarcity, you know. It depends on where the franchise is. Like I think making the playoffs for the Phillies has way more value even if it's in that sixth spot from a franchise standpoint than it does for the Rays. You know, I think the Rays have a machine going that even if this is a bit of a blip and even if the division, they kind of have to punt on it because the Yankees are so good, they know that they will stay competitive based on the, the farm system they have. Like, the Phillies are not in that position. You know, so they sort of have to, like, go for this because otherwise, like, what is the point? Like, they're spending so much money already, you know? Would Seattle fit there too, given how long it's been for them? Wouldn't the Mariners be in that same boat? Yeah, it would. So a team who's willing to maybe, you know, sell while still contending, you know, you could pick off like extra value from a team like Seattle, from a team like Philadelphia, right? Yeah. And I would think Philadelphia is a fascinating case because, yes, the expectations are high. They spent, I don't know, a quarter billion dollars or whatever this offseason. But also they have that thing that every team wants heading into the postseason, which is at least two starting pitchers who are really good, you know, really, really, really good. And if you're facing the Phillies in a short series and you've got to deal with Nola and Wheeler uh, pitching as well as they're capable, that's big. And if you could add a third starter to that, if you could add uh, some bullpen help, if you can add this and that, I get that we've had our fun with the (laughs) Phillies uh, being lovable galoots and being out there and Bryce Harper's injury changes some things. But if they can go into October with Bryce Harper entrenched at the DH with their lovable galoots hitting and with a starting rotation, you have to look at that and say, yeah, that would give us a chance. That would give us a chance. That's not wacky. And with that extra wild card, that little extra chance for them to get in, I, I would think, yeah, they're not giving up right now. In the spirit of taking it easy on the Phillies, you mentioned Zach Wheeler. Name a better free agent pitching signing in the last five years. What he signed for Rich and Hill. what the performance has been innings wise, you know. So yes, we we have been having some fun treating the Phillies like a pinata, but looks like they got that one right. Mark, you're sort of you're the Wheeler whisperer. What is the difference between him in Philadelphia and him with the Mets? I think he stayed healthy first of all, right? He's just he's gotten older. I think what you're seeing is somebody. It's really simple, an accumulation of time put in and just learning yourself a little bit better. You know, the Phillies made that deal because they bet, like a lot of teams did, on the fact that this dude throws hard and misses bats, which is always a pretty solid bet, right? But like in the context of when that's, that deal was signed, you could make the argument that that wasn't, you know, the, the obvious mode of thinking yet, right? There was still a tinge of, ah, look at this guy, like really hasn't done it like you know a lot of hype and you've seen flashes that had been his reputation but i think you know a combination of just the dude knows himself a little bit better but he's always had this stuff what he's doing there isn't something we haven't seen before what we hadn't seen before is a consistency and i think that is just somebody becoming a more well-rounded more experienced major leaguer and by the way look at when you look at wheeler's injury history right he missed all that time with Tommy John. Uh, there was a tendon issue in there as well. It really delayed some of his development at the major league level early in his career. So I think we're seeing some of that catch up, so to speak. So always had to swing and miss stuff. But yeah, you're just watching a more experienced person. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm fascinated with the teams that have something in place that translates to a deep postseason run. 
because you've seen teams that have one or two good starters ride those starters all the way through the postseason. You've seen teams that have just an amazing bullpen ride that bullpen all the way through. I mean, we talk about, have we ever mentioned the 2015 Royals on this show? I'm not sure if we have, but like a bullpen like that. So if a team has one of those things in place, like last year, my team before Devin Williams broke his hand was the Brewers because it's like, man, how do you beat the Brewers? They're going to get you into that sixth inning. And if they have the lead, that's going to be just game over, man, game over. And it didn't work out like that. But I'm fascinated with those teams that have that. The Phillies have it with their starters. I'm trying to think of other teams that might have it. Uh, The Rays have it with their bullpen. I don't know. It's just once you get into that short season, that's the value of that extra wild card because, hey, it's baseball. Anything can happen. You know, you can also argue like, I don't know, maybe this is like junk science, but like I've heard a couple execs put it this way. They're like, if getting those first two seeds, that's like 50% more valuable, right? Because you don't have to go through the three-game coin flip, essentially. So like that adds, you know, what, however, I don't know. That's, I don't know how math works. It's almost, you know, you just getting to that first or second seed is huge. So I, you know, I don't know if it will incentivize, you know, the teams at the top end, like the Yankees are going to add, the Mets are going to add, the Dodgers are going to add, you know, I don't know if that really is related to getting that extra seed. That's just what they do. But like, it does put more weight on that, I think. I do wonder what happens when a few years down the line, and this is the Andy's point, right? The Phillies clearly have a reason to push in. The Seattle Mariners, obvious reasons to push in. It's been forever in the postseason for those two clubs. But after a while, if this, you know, as, as, as this setup goes on, there can be a lot of teams that, you know, their postseason drought just isn't as long, right? And then I kind of wonder how does that change the equation as far as some of the urgency? Because, I, I, you know, that is some, you know, the old school trade deadline, that's some of the fun stuff, right? Is when teams are super urgent and they're making illogical decisions. But of course, that's just not how the folks who run clubs see the world anymore. I'm interested to see like how this looks down the road. I think now, right, we, we do see some intriguing possibilities because of some of the history that Andy's talked about there. But I think that might change a little bit, especially because this whole thing is designed to end these playoff droughts, right? It's designed to make sure that the Baltimore Orioles of the world, you know, finally get back there after this like, you know, long, you know, walk through the wilderness. So that's what I'm, I'd be curious to see, like, Okay, what does this feel like now? How are teams actually behaving? Grant, I'm going to ask you a question that might upset you. Oh, please. I, mean, please. I don't know. Maybe it'll, maybe, maybe it'll titillate you. I don't know. <laughs> Should the Giants sell? That doesn't upset me. I'll <laughs> tell you why. I have had, I've watched the Giants for the last week. And they're playing some of the worst baseball I've seen them play. Uh that end of sentence like I don't need to qualify for that and I've, <laughs> I'm talking about the Gi- the Giants of you know 2018 2017 they were bad bad teams and I'm not saying this team is anywhere close to that bad they're playing like that now when we made fun of the Phillies defense the Giants have that defense now they are just nincompoops out there in the <laughs> in the field like just straight up nincompoops and it's hard to watch and they're not hitting. I would say, yes, it's tempting. They wouldn't have the most obvious pieces to sell. I kind of strongly disagree on that, but keep going. I mean, well, okay. Well, I haven't really thought about it. So let me think. Rodon would be pretty darn valuable to sell. That is a good point. Uh, I'm thinking more of the more expensive position players, uh, but they're not doing anything that anyone would want. They could really blow it up. Uh, I'll tell you, if they don't play watchable baseball over the next couple of weeks, eh, it's it's possible. If you're a good baseball team, 
And this is not to slight Josh Bell. I think Josh Bell's a really good player. He's, you know, like, but if you're a good baseball team, would you rather have Josh Bell or Brandon Bell? I don't know. Like, Bell's obviously had a much better track record. You know, Bell is obviously playing much better this year. But, like, I don't know. I'd probably rather have Bell just because he's been in those uh, sort of situations before. He's played meaningful games, which Josh Bell, having played for the Pirates and the Nationals, never really has. You know, obviously, Jock Peterson is a battle-tested veteran, uh, you know, who would fit any club. Uh, with Rodon, does his does his options change if he gets dealt? I don't think so. I think it's it's mostly just a, a straight up once he gets to 120 innings or something. Yeah. yeah, he's got a player option that that, that turns into it. But uh, but even that, like, would you rather have Rodon or what? You know, what is Frankie Montas right now? There's a void to be filled of good players on this market, and the Giants are one of those teams who could fill that void. It sound it makes sense. And listen, you can't put they're a, a forward thinking office. They they're they're going to be realistic about all this. They have what I think I was talking about earlier, where like, hey, if we get in there and we've got Webb and Rodon, we've got a chance. If we can add X, Y, and Z, if we can shore this up, if we can get this guy going, I still think that they like the bones because they're the it's the team that they thought was going to defend the NL West title. They put this team together on purpose, not because they were trying to be uh, austere necessarily, uh, but because they thought, hey, this gave them the best chance to win. They still must have some idea that no, 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 this can work. We just got to do these five things, and, and it'll be it'll be perfect. So I still think that there's going to be some confidence in the front office to try and run it back. But wow, is it not working right now? <laughs> this sounds like the sports leader right now. Yeah. You know, Bob from Walnut Creek having the ass about the Giants. <laughs> let's let's walk it through, right? Let's say that this is the, the option they go with. Because I agree with Andy. There's some players on here that I think, you know, other clubs would see and, you know, affix some value to. Fair to say, though, that they could still get this so that they're competitive next year, even if they started shedding some pieces, right? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't see a club where if they did that, they've set their timeline back at all. Like, I feel like they just spend some money, make some targeted ads, and, and you know, here we go again. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Grant? Listen, that's right. I mean, I don't know necessarily what their plans are because they're going to have to probably replace Rodon. I don't think they're going to want to pay him what he's going to get in the open market. I think it might be time for, I think it, Brandon Belt, the happy marriage might not work out because uh, he accepted the qualifying offer. He's going to want maybe a longer term deal. That might not be in the Giants plans. So there are going to be already some of these players we've talked about. Maybe they're already planning to move on without them. They've had a good luck in the past finding one-year deals, two-year deals for fix-em pitchers like Kevin Gossman, Alex Cobb, his ERA is high, but he's been pitching great. They have an eye for fixing the team and improving the team. I don't know, man. I think it is definitely plausible. Listen, it's going to be, what do we have, three weeks until the deadline, four weeks until the deadline. There's going to be a lot of baseball between now and then. And even if the, if the Giants are moping in to the deadline and they're right around where they are now, which is a couple games over 500, they're a give a penny, take a penny team. I think that it's definitely on the table. I don't know how much they would value squeaking into that last wild card spot. Yeah, but it's like to what? To get the chance to maybe host one game? I don't even know yeah. how the, I don't even know how the format works. I, they change. <laughs> I, I genuinely don't know. How does the format work? Is it two one one or two it would, two one? It, it would, Who cares? Yeah, I think I think it's maybe it's one one one. 
No, we need to get some, many off days. We need to get a national baseball writer on this call. <laughs> right. <laughs> Look, I'm sorry. I got to be honest. I knew the rules. Like I used to read the CBA, and then like around like 20, 2020, they just started changing them all the time. I don't know. The trade deadline's in August. Maybe they could move it up to July 31st. <laughs> who knows? I'm looking at the the Giants roster though, and like the two guys who. If they moved, would it feels like would significantly affect their contending timeline or Logan Webb and Mikey Stremski. And everyone else, it's kind of like, you know, they're doing short-term agreements. So, like, you know, if you're Farhan Zaidi, like, you kind of need to – you're not going to win the division. The Dodgers' hegemony, despite what some idiot wrote last year, has not ended. The, you know, the dads continue their bizarre, you know, sort of – really good season, you know, and they have a much better, they have a better farm system, right? And they have locked in, you know, they've got Machado, they've got Tatis, you know, uh, they've got all these, you know, guys coming through, they've got all this pitching. You're not winning in this year. You you need to continually re-flourish or replenish, you know, the system. Like, you should be looking for, I, I'm not saying, you know, you should punt, but like, I, I would be really curious to see based on the dearth of other good players on the market what sort of opportunities there are here. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB Show. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. 
what you have with the Giants is that they have proven a couple of things that, that they can do well. They can identify talent. They can make players better, whether it's players that they inherited from the previous regime or players that they've spotted on the open market or on the trade market. They can take them. They can make them better. That's going to help. What they have not done yet is polish their own prospects come from with other than logan webb they haven't really brought up that guy elliot ramos joey bart they have not folded him in like a walker bueller or gavin lux so what they might want to do is just get more raffle tickets so if they are around 500 and they are uh you know, they're just kind of limping into the deadline. They might want to just spend some of that capital that they have and get more raffle tickets because they have not proven that they can have that self-sustaining machine. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I don't know. Like I said, I just, I think there's some, some opportunities. Is there anyone, I mean, is there any other team, like what does Cleveland do? Does the playoffs mean more to Cleveland than it would normally? Like, you know, based on their actions, you'd kind of think no, right? They're a team, even when they were, like crushing the central, we're still willing to like shed payroll, but they haven't been crushing the central for a few years. They've sort of created a path to having a new owner. This uh, fellow I believes named David Blitzer is like the new minority owner. He's going to replace the Dolans. You know, like there is a void there that maybe you know that that's a team that has a has a robust farm system and has a, a lot of confidence in their ability to regenerate prospects like they could be fairly aggressive uh you know this deadline in a way that would maybe surprise some folks i don't know i have a hard time offering the benefit of the doubt to an ownership group that has pretty much behaved one way no matter what's going on on the field right like i mean uh, i don't want to like make a generalization there but like when i think about the clubs that just you know are going to operate under a very very set you know strict guidelines the cleveland guardians are it like they're right in that group of this is how we do things it's always how we're going to do things and over there that means you know uh, not doing something that will require you to spend money at some point and if you're dealing prospects right at some point that will translate into you having to pay some guys and i I don't know it's hard to see that just because that's, that's how they've operated maybe you know when the new ownership group comes in maybe you see something different there right there's always that honeymoon period when someone takes over a club where they do some things you know barring that i don't know man it's kind of hard for me to give them the benefit of the doubt i could see them trying to uh split that hair and get someone who is a little bit cheaper under contract for longer maybe pay more of a prospect premium someone like a brian reynolds i mean we know that the indians have not had a very good outfield for like 15 years now. It just feels like they've really been struggling Since with Manny the outfield. Left. Yeah, man. And so like, I'm not just, I don't even know if the, the Pirates would entertain a, entertain a trade for Brian Reynolds, but I think someone like that where you're saying, listen, we're adding, we're also not committing to spending in the near future. We've got this guy for a couple of years. Yes, we gave up some of your, your favorite young prospects that you wanted to hug tight, but at the same time, we're going to keep going and we're not all in this year, but we're just, we're in for the next couple of years. I, I think that could be a good fit for the Guardians. Yeah, and you'd think that Reynolds is priced to move, right? Because didn't they come to some cost control with him before the season began? I, I feel like they bought out his last couple of arbitration years. And so when a club does that, you would think that, hey, that is somebody you can move and that becomes really, really attractive, obviously. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it was two years. I can't remember the number, but you know the fact that it was locked in, I, when, when it happened, I'm like, oh, okay, that's like putting a, like a little red tag on the dude right there, right? He's two for 13 and a half, yeah. 
Um, and then he's not a free agent for several years after Price that. Nice to move. Do you, know, do you know Brian Reynolds and Adam Frazier started the All-Star game last year? <laughs> well, yeah, Brian Reynolds was freaking good. Brian Reynolds, he's fine. MVP candidate uh, last year. What? At one point. Yeah, he's I'm, he seems fine. I don't know. Look, have I seen him play ever? I attended the All Star game, and I'm not sure I watched him play. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. That does feel though that that feels more like a, a Clevelandian move because he's not super expensive, and it'll probably just cost prospects, and you know. But and they have they got a lot of dudes, but I don't know. And I could see the Rays trading someone who's under contract that would, wow, I can't believe they traded this guy, but they've got some sort of 17-dimension backgammon game going. And I could see a team like that, maybe not specifically the Rays, but a, a team who has a player that we're not thinking of right now who's under contract for a couple of years, maybe a Mike Kostremski, like you said, or maybe, uh, I'm not sure, maybe a, someone on the Tigers who is part of the team that was supposed to be half-decent this year but not that there might be these guys out there who aren't the Luis Castillo's, the obvious ones. And, and that's going to be really interesting at the deadline. Sean Murphy of the A's, right? Sean Murphy. I mean, that's yeah, one of those yeah. dudes I think of, like with a lot of controls, gold glover last year. He's above average offensive player at that position. Um, lots of control. And that team's going to stink for a long, long time. So, yeah, I think they're going to stink for a I, while. It man. could be right. I don't know. Maybe no, I, I, I think we're looking at like, Oakland Mausoleum, late 70s, early 80s, Drek. Mm, mm. You're just thinking that because you're reading Howard Bryant's Ricky Henderson book. Which, by the way, if you're not, you should, folks. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it is a great book. I can't wait to read that. Oh, but, like, that's what that A's team looks like to me now. Like, whenever I put them on, they're just god-awful. They're god-awful. And, and I think it's going to be that way for a while, but, you know, that's just me. And, again, uh, good for me. Because it's just, I'm telling you, there's so much room in the parking lot. You cut up the canopy. You're, you're playing baseball. You're not worried about it. You're, when you're, I'm throwing softballs to the girls. I'm not worried about hitting cars, man. It is great. The one thing I was worried about with the extra wild card was that you would have a team that squeaks in that, man, just does not deserve to be a postseason team. That you look at and go, what are we doing here? As the current standings sit now, you would have the Cardinals and the Rays as the last wild card teams. I want to watch those teams. Like, I would watch a postseason series with one of them on purpose. Is that just a fluke? Are we going to get one of those teams? Because I'll tell you, the Orioles are six and a half out. So a good <laughs> a good strong couple of weeks from the Orioles when we get them up there. But right now, as it stands, it seems like that cutoff isn't as gross as I thought it would be. No, I, I think you're right. I do think that that will probably be the mode most years. Like, most years, there will be pretty competent teams when there are incom when there's an incompetent six seed it will be very glaring i mean this was a you know this happened in the old system right you know the 06 cardinals the 2000 yankees won 88 games or something like that right or 87 i think issue with the wild card is that yeah in that three game series you're going to see two good teams right like you're gonna the, the six seed is gonna be pretty good I just think it would be better if that sixth seed was trying like hell to get to be one of the four seeds or the five seeds. You know what I mean? Like I'd rather get a month 
of the Cardinals, like, you know, having desperately to run down the Brewers, you know, if they're back two and a half games or something like that, rather than just like, you know, knowing kind of like, hey, we'll be all right. Like, we just got to hold off the Phillies, like, as long as, you know, they still are, you know, don't have gloves or whatever is going on down there, you know, we'll be okay. So that's all. It's just, I just think it, I'd rather see all that, you know, the potential satisfaction of a decently played, competent three game like series in October, I would rather just see more meaningful games in September. I'm with you. I'm with you. I just, I don't like it. I, I thought that there would be more completely, come on, man, I don't want to watch these guys in the series. And it's not like that now. So maybe that cutoff works in that, but I agree. You don't get that game 162. What was that? Uh, uh, 2011, where it was just, where it was just bananas. You're not going to get, you're going to get that in a very muted way. It's going to have to do with uh, postseason seeding and home field advantage and stuff like that, which isn't as exciting. Maybe you see it this, this deadline, right? Like, you know, the fear is that, expanding the playoffs causes teams to race towards the middle, right? Rather than race towards the bottom. And so maybe you will see like Tampa Bay does nothing. St. Louis does nothing. Cleveland does nothing. You know, all these clubs like don't add because, hey, like what's the value? You know, we're going to find out. Like we're going to like this is the first test case of like how teams really do value that spot. How valuable do you think a first round buy is? I mentioned it in, in passing, but I just I have no idea how to value the seeding is good because you're saying you're you're getting out of that that one coin flip series, and I do appreciate that value. But as far as a baseball team, a first round buy does is that does that excite anybody? Right, that's the age old question you get to the postseason. Right, is like these days off that you don't have during the regular season that you're having to deal with. Like for me, like if you're gonna win a World Series. You're gonna have to figure out how to deal with that anyway. So if you're dealing with it in the middle of a, of a CS or you know right before the playoffs begin, like sort of doesn't matter. You're just gonna have you're gonna have to deal with that if you're trying to win a World Series. Anyhow, I, I don't know if it makes that much of a material difference. You know, like and you can go through all the scenarios and like there's always a good and a bad to it, right? Like if you're a team that had to push hard to get that seat, yeah, like you probably are, have leaned on your bullpen awfully hard. And so whatever those days are between, like, I mean, if you're a bullpen guy that has been running to the ground for two months because you've been in the heat of a chase for seeding, I think that you'd probably want that time off. Now, that said, um, yeah, you, you hear hitters talk about it all the time. Rhythm's important. Time off is brutal. And here you are having to do it right at the, off the you know, right out of the gate. But again, if you're going to win the World Series, you have to deal with that anyway at some point. So, and, I mean, and if you're a good team... There's always that chance that you make a quick series, like four or five game series. And and here we are again, you've got a break. So, uh, you know, I I would think given just how important bullpens are, right, and like lining up pitching and all that, that it ends up being a net positive from that standpoint. Like if you have that break, totally understand it if you hear the hitters complain that, oh, this sucks. I I get it. But I I still think kind of a net positive from the pitching side. It'll be interesting to see like if – if we get into like late August and September and the Dodgers, cause this isn't going to happen in the, in the AL. There's just, there's two great teams in the AL. There's the Yankees and there's the Astros. And then there's a bunch of decent teams, but in the NL there's the Dodgers, the Mets, the Braves and the dads. And it'll be interesting to see how they, how hard they push to leapfrog into that buy, right? Like, is it worth it to gas out your bullpen trying to get, a few days off to get through that three game series. Or you just say, look, we're in the playoffs. Let's just, let's just roll. 
you know, like, let's not, let's not go crazy here. I don't know. We don't know. So like, these are like, as much as I dislike the general concept of the expanded playoffs, they do create new sort of interesting scenarios, I guess. Like it does create like sort of, you know, just questions like, 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 like this. So I, I think that will be something worth watching as the, you know, as the summer goes on. You know, kind of as you were saying that, what I also like about this, because it is something that hasn't had to be considered before, is that maybe this is a thing where there's a variance as far as how teams approach it. Because I think there's a lot of decisions now where, by and large, this is what you expect, right? Like, I think teams have, like, you know, seen the value, let's say, of, you know, like the um, a platoon matchup or whatever. Like, I think we've all seen the line change work, so to speak, where you're, you know, like the Giants, obviously, last year. But, you know, when you encounter something like this that has never been a thing before, I'm kind of intrigued by the fact, or at least I'm hoping, that you got a bunch of smart people that come down differently on it. You know, that it's not one blanket thing, that that there are debates going on and that we see some differences in how that is handled, which I think is always great. I think that adds to sort of the unpredictability of things. I'm all for that, if that's how it plays out. And one thing worth pointing out, I don't think these teams know. They don't know. Like, they know more than us. Maybe, I mean, maybe less than Grant. But, like, they know more. <laughs> they, they have more information than us. And they can look at the various metrics on, like, you know, what relief usage will do. And, you know, if you push guys into the red zone, how much will that affect it? But, like, this is, they don't know. That's kind of interesting. Right. And they're also going to know, right, because we're talking if we're talking about rest and like, they're going to know who's banged up and who's going to need that time. I, I think that's a lot of this calculation, too, is like, OK, which of the guys that are sort of the cogs to your lineup or in your bullpen or in the rotation, how banged up are they? How much of a priority is it? You know, like if you get the, those days rest, does somebody's capacity to perform increase significantly. And we're not going to know that from the outside. Those are the only ones that will know that too. So I think that's another major variable in this that makes it interesting and could could lead to some decisions that you can't predict because it's going to be completely dependent on, hey, there's this really important piece of ours. Like how much of the priorities to time off for them? It's junk science, right? Like, I mean, I assume there maybe I don't know who the who knows what how how well the computers work now. But like if you're looking at like you know, World Series championship expectancy, right? Versus like risk with bullpens. Because that's the obvious one is like, how hard do we ride these guys? How much does getting the one seed increase, you know, the, the bar on the right? And how much does it decrease the one on the left? And how does decreasing the one on the left affect the bar on the right? You know, this is a, obviously a uh, an audio medium, but just assume that I'm presenting you all, the listener, with a sort of visual cue that makes sense. I'm I'm raising my right hand, and then I'm raising my left hand, and my right hand drops. And now, so who can say? The production values are just super high right now. <laughs> I will say the, the the biggest change for me or the biggest uh, point of edification that I had when I moved from being an unwashed blogger to an unwashed writer with access is the idea when I was a blogger and, and you had a manager make a pitching changes. Oh, come on. You're bringing in you're bringing in Jones when you had Johnson. Come on, man. You know that Johnson's got the better blah, blah, blah. And when you have access and you're talking, it's like, well, 
Jones had a little bit of a hot elbow and I put him in for, for five out of the last seven games. And you're not thinking five out of seven. You're just looking white and pitch yesterday and stuff like that. And how much goes into a good manager's bullpen decisions and how much they're thinking about it. They're conversing with it a hundred times more than you've thought about it. And that's is what, that is what's going to go into these decisions. So when you have a team like the Rays, who is very, very bullpen dependent, when you have a team like that, uh, maybe the Brewers, I mean, they have a, a good starting core, but they're also going to be a little bullpen dependent. Maybe that's going to factor into, boy, if we can get past that, get our bullpen a little bit of rest, we can start get to that uh, series. And now we have Devin Williams coming in the sixth, seventh inning, and you have Hayter, and that is going to be impossible after Burns and Woodruff. Maybe that is the calculation there. Well, you're not going to have Hader for multiple innings, but uh, yes. yeah, <laughs> You might have him on three days in a row, though. <laughs> Look, you've named run prevention clubs, that you know, teams that are predicated on just squeezing the other guys. And so I think that style of game is a little bit nerve-wracking anyway, given how much you're leaning on these arms. And you know, I think it's really fascinating that when we talk about like the way bullpens are used, what they've done is essentially take out a lot of that, not a lot, take out some of the unpredictable nature of the bullpen. Because I'm old enough to remember when it was like the you know, bullpen gate would open and the feeling was, oh, you never know what you're going to get. And like now, you know, because of matchups and like just a better understanding of what guys stuff, how that matches up with who they're going to face, like, you know, creating lanes for guys, managing workloads, understanding, by the way, that each of those people might be a little bit different, right? Someone might be able to bounce back faster than the other. That's a lot of bandwidth, a lot of calculations. And so you would think that those teams that are that are styled that way, that extra time off would be of even more value, which, um, again, at least I hope that's how it works, because I want to see different types of decisions. I think that's fun. I love the the framing of I'm old enough to remember because A, it was like four years ago when we felt like that. And B, teams like the Phillies, was, buddy, they are still I was just going to say. Like, what are we going to get? Gonna say, dude, I don't know. Put on, put on, put on any Phillies game. Uh, and like, what, yeah. Anything could happen. That's true. There are teams still living by the seat of their pants with their bullpen. I mean, you I should mean, watch Craig Kimbrell closing in L.A. Like, there's crazy oh, stuff yeah. happening out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think – that trade surprised the heck out of me. I don't know if we have to relitigate that trade. Like, I get that they didn't need Adam Eaton maybe as much as other teams might have – or, I'm sorry, H.J. Uh, Pollock. Wow, that was a, that was a deep cut. Um, you know, and Pollock's not doing great shakes with the White Sox, but at the same time, like, I don't no, that trade surprised the heck out of me. It was more like uh, the way the Dodgers framed it is they wanted to clear at bats for like Chris Taylor and Gavin Lux uh, and make it. And so they just kind of had a salary swap, you know, essentially. And like they needed someone to pitch the ninth inning because Blake Trinan is not a closer. He prefers to, you know, like, you know, set up or whatever. He prefers like the seventh or eighth and like the sort of the fireman situation. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit of a problem in LA because they've sort of had they've had a closer you know issue for several of the last few years they really didn't have one last year because Kenley Jansen was kind of back but like they had this problem in 19 they sort of had this problem in 20 you know and in 19 they couldn't figure it out in 20 they just threw Julio Arias at the situation now like Julio Arias like well I don't know maybe he doesn't start 
game two anymore. You know, maybe game two is Tony Gonsolin. I will be interested to see. I bet you I would assume that Urias, closer to free agency, is less interested in, you know, being the fungible sort of guy he was uh, several years ago. Uh, so I, I don't know if you can just throw him at the problem. But the Dodgers, you know, given like what the, their lack of holes on the roster, like they, that's the one thing that you could definitely upgrade. But who are you going to do it with? Like David Robertson? You know, okay, sure. Like maybe it's 2013 again, you know, and like he's, he's still able to do all that stuff. But it's, uh, it's an interesting time. So what I'm getting from this podcast is that the Dodgers are going to trade for Camilo Duvall. <laughs> I mean, obviously. <laughs> well, okay. Like if you're Farhan Zaidi, pick up the phone. <laughs> yeah. Say make, make I, listen, me a fair offer for Camilo Duvall and see what it is. Yeah. I mean, listen, I am not a fan anymore. Uh, I am here for the content. And by gum, that sounds like good content. Just, 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 <laughs> I'm here for the takes. I'm here for the subscriptions. Boy, that would really you know I mean? light up the sports leader. <laughs> the sports leader. No, I will say, I will say, when you said I'm not a fan anymore, I, I immediately thought, I mean, I thought, wow, what is Camilo Duvall's walk rate that has upset Grant okay. so much? <laughs> nah, he's good. He is. Uh, he's a very fun pitcher to watch. But just in general, I don't know. All these, all these questions are fascinating. We didn't get to talk about the Astros. So we're gonna have to uh, do that next time. Because we were going to talk about the Astros being, uh, what's the word you used, Andy? Good? Yeah, they're good. They're good. They're uh, they're very good. They might be the best team in the AL. I don't know. The Yankees are the best team in the AL. But they're really good. They're really, really I good. I don't know. No, I don't know. I, come on, man. The, the, Yankees I, I might, are, the Yankees are good. I don't know. I, I, I do. I don't know. We'll get to this next week. All yeah, right. The Astros. Good club. <laughs> Astros are good. Yeah, they're a good baseball team. All right. We will be back next week. We will probably talk about the Astros unless they lose like five of six or something because we talked about them here as a preview. Lord probably knows not. the Angels will do something this week that will make us talk about <laughs> Yeah, isn't Phil back? Isn't Nevin back next week? Maybe. So there's always that. And then I'm sure we can get low on the phone or something. I mean, as an industry, as an industry, we should boycott the Angels until they play better. The media industry. Six and a half back of the wild card. They got a shot. They got a shot. <laughs> Sam Blum right. dropped the uh, toxic positivity oh on him this goodness, week. Adam, so that's gracious. always fun. We've reached that point of the, uh, of the program. Oh, my gosh. All right. This has been episode 14 of the Roundtable. We will be back next week. We will talk uh, baseball stuff and uh, hope you will be there to listen. I will work on the outro between now and then, maybe. Uh, but thanks for listening. We'll see you then.